0: Look, let's authorize ourselves to dynamically decide to change direction frequently because it's not that we're flaky or inconsistent or not strategic. It's called changing your mind and we can authorize ourselves to test and learn and do that. Welcome to On Your Terms with Erin King, a show about living a life you truly love. Here's Erin. Quiet quitting. Oh, it is such a hot topic right now in media with people all over the spectrum in terms of what it means and how they feel about it. This idea of quiet quitting, if you haven't heard of it yet, is people that are showing up to their nine to five jobs and doing the bare minimum to not get fired, but not exactly change the world. Now, is this mentality self-righteous? Is it self-reliant? Is it about drawing boundaries? Is it about being unethical? Well, the jury is out and I will tell you, today's episode, Rachel DiAlto and I dive in to this topic. We share a ton of different perspectives around what quiet quitting looks like, what it means, and what you should be thinking about in your own personal or professional situation. Now, back it up for a second. Rachel DiAlto is one of my dearest friends. She is a communication and relatability expert. She's a media personality, a keynote speaker, a recovery lawyer, a CrossFit junkie, a mom, and she is the author of Relatable, How to Connect with Anyone, Anywhere, Even if It Scares You. Now, Rachel is someone who I look up to immensely. Not only does she have a law degree and a master's in psychology, she's also been on all kinds of interesting shows like Lifetime's Married at First Sight, TLC's Kate and Date, and over 200 plus national media outlets. She mostly talks about relationship building, the power of connection, and broadening your authenticity with her most recent TEDx talk, Being Authentic in a Filtered World. Friends, if you have struggled with quiet quitting, evaluating what your job, situation, boundaries, value, identity should look like, this is the episode for you. Have a listen. Hello, everyone. Erin King here, and welcome to today's episode of On Your Terms. Today's guest is none other than my dear friend, Dynamo. She's a lawyer. She's a mama. She's a best-selling author, former dating coach turned spectacularly relatable, personal growth and development coach, teacher, leader, facilitator, MC, Rachel DiAlto. Welcome to the show.
1: Hello, my love. How are you? So good, Rachel. It's so good to see
0: your gorgeous face. And I'm just so pumped to talk with you today. How's it going over there? It is going. It's busy. Fall is always a crazy time. So I'm excited to be living in it. I know we were just talking off camera about the high class champagne problems of a packed (laughs) schedule and how it's what you pray for and it's what you work for. And it's what success should feel and look like. But we were talking earlier about, it's interesting that um, success, whatever you define that to be, can be a little bit
1: tiring, right? It can. And I think it's okay to feel both. You know, when people talk about the journey to loving yourself, you're allowed to love yourself, but also want to evolve along the way of it. And I Mm -hmm. feel like it's the same thing when it comes to success and busyness. It's okay to continually strive for success, but also be like, Ooh, I need a nap, which I do often. (laughs) (laughs)
0: well you are not napping on the socials because your instagram has been blowing up lately with incredible shorts i love your videos i love your advice it's like bite-sized digestible and i love that you don't waste time you just get in there you drop the goods and you hit the button and you keep moving on so your content's great if you guys are not following rachel on instagram definitely give her a follow she is a value add to your feed and one of the topics that i recently saw you posting about I think would be really juicy for our listeners today is this buzzword that is showing up all over the media right now around this concept of quiet quitting and i don't know where you stand on this topic but i do know that this podcast is called on your terms and so this movement it seems people are trying to feel like they're operating in their professional lives, a little more on their terms on the other side of what has been a very burnout ridden, exhausting, complex, new hybrid world of work. So where do you sit on this topic? Because I know there's two very different
1: schools of thought, and I'm really curious to hear what you think about it. I know that there are some that believe that this is a way to set boundaries and some who believe that this is just a way to be less engaged, but still get a paycheck. And I do believe that it's somewhere in the middle. I think that if people are quiet quitting, it is a systemic problem. And to me, it's a symptom more than anything. If you have people who are quiet quitting, to me, that says, what can we do differently? And also, I would ask the question and I would put it on the quiet quitter to say, okay, how can you communicate what you need better? How can you communicate what your desires are or what your aspirations are in a way that actually facilitates engagement in your work versus just doing the minimum or setting those boundaries in a way that's done quietly versus I'm a fan of assertive communication. To me, if we're not assertively communicating what we want, what our terms are, and we're doing it in a more passive aggressive way, I think it is a far less efficient way of getting it done. But if you have people who can't talk to you, then of course they're going to quiet quit. If you have a a leadership style that doesn't allow for communication, then people are going to do this because it's their only way to set boundaries.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. What I've heard is a lot of people are like, well, I tried. I tried communicating. I tried having the conversation with my superior, my boss. So I ask them like, well, tell me more about this try. Did you bring it up one time? Are you tracking all the ways that you're trying? Have you done it more than once? Have you tried different approaches? Have you found advocates? Like, I just think that there is too soon quitting on communicating, which is leading to this quiet quitting. And I'll be totally honest. I mean, I am allergic to this concept. Okay, yes, there are some people that have outrageous expectations there are companies that don't care about their employees feeling burnt out there are companies that are not paying women minorities lgbtq what they should be paid equal to their male counterparts their stale male pale counterparts these are all true absolutely but you and i both know that there is somewhere between the circumstances that we find ourselves in and the choices that we empower ourselves to make right i am a firm student of the school Of self reliance. And what I believe is that when you look at this idea of quiet quitting, some of the gals I was talking to, they have this very self righteous kind of vibe. And I think that it's masquerading as empowerment. It feels like they're being empowered. And it probably does feel for a minute like I'm doing it my way. I've worked hard. I tried to ask for more. I asked to respect my boundaries. No one's listening. So screw it. I'll show you. I'm just going to phone it in and get my paycheck and figure out my life and do my self-care right and I get that people are frustrated but what I don't understand is why would you want to be quiet about something why would you want to make your voice smaller and your actions smaller and then quitting like who wants to be a quitter Like that's how you want to live your life oh that's gonna show them that's really gonna stick it to the corporations that you're quitting in your life and also just the ethical side of it I mean I really feel like if someone's paying me to do a job like my effort is always in direct proportion to what I'm getting paid to do. And I'm not saying that we haven't all had those moments where it's exhausting where we don't feel valued and we don't feel compensated, but that's why we have to manage our energy and spend time filling up our cup. And like you said, communicating super clearly that if you're not getting paid what you want or valued the way that you think it should be valued, just being quiet about it is just, oh, like I'm with
1: you. I don't get that. Well, it depends on what are your aspirations. If you have no aspirations to ever be promoted, to ever go up that ladder in any way, then fine. But if you have those aspirations, then it is time, if your manager, if the leadership in front of you is not listening, you run it up the flagpole until someone Mm. does. As I said, this is a symptom of a problem within an organization. You know, you can treat the symptoms with your quiet quitting, but it's kind of like treating a headache instead of understanding where the headache came from. And the leaders, if you are in an organization that actually cares about its management, about the organization as a whole, as the engagement of the employees, they're going to want to know. And maybe you're just not talking to the right person. And if you do run it the flagpole and you're still getting to that point where you're not being listened to, then maybe that is not your flagpole to run up. And maybe mm. you need to change and find something because the thing that worries me is how important purpose. So research shows that purpose in terms of the way that we feel about social media, the way that we feel about our self-esteem, the way that we feel about our purpose at work is a defining component of our mental health and happiness. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me that you are now quiet quitting your job, but you're not leaving it and you're staying there and you are disengaged and you're doing the least possible. Then that tells me that your purpose is not aligned and that you are now not in a place where you are going to feel fulfilled, which is more detrimental to you than anything you could be doing to preserve those boundaries. Those boundaries are important and you want to make sure that you are communicating those in any way possible. But if you're at the point where you're quiet quitting, then you're disengaged and you have no purpose in your work likely. What is the after effect of that? That's way more concerning to me than anything. Mm -hmm. Do what you love and find a way to get paid for it. -hmm. Or do what you like and find a way to build upon that. But Mm -hmm. if you are completely disengaged to the point that you're quiet quitting, that tells me that your purpose is unaligned and that is going to be far more detrimental than anything.
0: God, it reminds me so much of my last corporate job. And I was director of social commerce for a company called Auction.com. They were like an eBay for real estate. And it was just when social media had come out and I was fighting these battles day in and day out, trying to persuade these old school real estate guys in Newport Beach, California that Facebook was going to be a big deal, right? Like, And so it was just so annoying because every day I was up against 10 dudes at the table, old, stale male pale, great guys. I mean, there's still three of them are still my business mentors to this day. I love them, but they'll even admit like they were a little bit yeah, of a homogenous. Like so yeah, like they'll just laugh when I say <laughs> that. But I would just fight this battle every day to be heard, to be seen, to negotiate for budget and resources. And it was really exhausting. And I remember before this was a thing, I kind of did the quiet quit. I was like, you know what, Fine. I'm going to get in at 9.01. I'm going to leave at 4.59. And I'm going to goof off on Facebook a couple hours a day because I didn't feel like I was being validated. I didn't feel like I was being heard. And I only did that for maybe a month or two. And at first it felt kind of sneaky and liberating, but then eventually it's exactly what you just described. I felt this dulling of my identity and I felt it permeate into other areas of my life. So Even when I was home and I was living my best weekend life with my paycheck, I didn't have the same vibrance and the same excitement and gratitude because my identity was becoming dulled down and muddled and I'd kind of lost my way. And so exactly what you said is what happens. How do you think that we can do a better job if someone finds themselves listening to this episode? And maybe my story resonates, maybe what you just said resonates. but how? how How can they begin to evaluate, am I being an entitled, quitting too soon, everyone gets a trophy millennial stereotype, and I'm an old millennial, am I being that or am I in a situation where my organization is not listening? Like how do they go through and begin to evaluate how they got here and is it them? kind of leaning on this excuse of giving themselves this kind of unethical grace is how I see it or is it valid and should they begin to formulate a plan like how do they begin to figure that out would you say
1: I think a lot of self-awareness and also maybe some third-party feedback because sometimes it is so hard to see the forest for the trees and mm-hmm. if you're in it you're thinking and especially in certain mentalities a woe is me or some sort of victim mentality around certain things or is it legitimate trying to decipher that when you you're in the mix of it is so hard sometimes. So I'm a big fan of find your most logical friend. Someone that you can ask, hey, listen, I would love to explain my situation to you and maybe see it from a different perspective and just get that different perspective. And even if they're not so logical, you're going to hear something from a different point of view. And I believe that sometimes we live in this echo chamber that is Mm. so detrimental to our soul, because Mm -hmm. if we are not hearing other opinions, other perspectives, other people saying, no, 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 no. Why aren't you grateful for this? Or, or, oh my gosh, you're being completely taken advantage of. These are things that if we get these other opinions and not to say that you need a lot of opinions because there can be too many cooks in the kitchen. But just to give yourself a minute to say, okay, this is how I feel. Let me get another perspective that maybe see if it changes the way I feel or changes my perspective, or at least gives me a bigger understanding of Mm -hmm. what is happening here. I find myself a lot of times I'll go on places like Reddit and I'll dive in because people, <laughs> there is no holds bar. Oh yeah. It's so true. And it's interesting
0: because a lot of times you hear people preach, and I've preached it myself too, this idea of, you know, when, when things show up in your newsfeed and they inflame you and, you know, they pour gasoline on rhetoric that you disagree with at a fundamental level, just like bless and block, you know, <laughs> bless and block, move on. And I preach it in my book. I do it. So it's great. Okay. It's like, to your point, it relieves the symptoms. But long term, it's exacerbating this echo chamber, this homogenous stream of one-sided non-diverse viewpoints and how dangerous to be drinking from that fire hose of same so that's interesting it's actually a good segue too. well before we go to the social media mental health thing because i loved your post about that the other day have you had a situation personally where you found yourself in a quiet quitting situation because i'll just kind of go back to my story for a second when that happened to me i went to the cmo of the company who is now one of my biggest mentors you know 15 years later her name's megan hanley she's incredible I'll never forget kind of coming to her with the issue. And I'll be honest. I mean, she's really busy. She was the only female executive at the C-level. She had 100,000 meetings every four minutes. And it did take three or four or five conversations with her. But once she realized, okay, this is actually really impacting a valued employee, she was incredible. She was like, let's restructure your title. I was actually the social media manager. And then she was like, let's call you the director of social commerce. Let's Mm. reposition your identity in the organization. That was the first thing. That made me kind of think to myself, oh, I'm not a social media manager. I'm the director of social commerce. It sounds stupid, but by even reframing... It's a value. Yes, exactly. Yes. That was the first thing. Then she sat down and said, okay, when you're pitching, what is the resistance that you are facing? Do you need more champions in your corner? Do you need more advocates? And I'm like, these guys don't see the value of just sharing pictures of houses on social media. And then she goes, well, what would they see the value in? So we brainstorm and she goes, okay, well, they're experts in the industry. What if we allowed them to be the face of the content? Well, sure enough, that spawns this whole YouTube series where the CEOs became the voices on YouTube. I'm now interviewing the CEOs about. About investment strategies and market trends and it takes off it gets traction online they're seen as the experts it's driving leads I have a closer relationship with the decision-makers I feel more valued I mean she untangled it in a matter of probably four or five months but the key to this conversation is to your point make sure you have a good fit for a great company make sure you do find your champion which Megan Hanley always has been and always will be and number three I had to ask her a number of times because the world at auction.com did not revolve around the social media <laughs> manager who's 27 when they have thousands of employees. It was not my world and they were yeah. living in, you know? So I think that there's, there's like an element of people that try one or two things and it's scary. It's hard to be like, Hey, knock, knock. I know you have a hundred thousand things, but can we talk about me for a sec? Like it does feel a little indulgent. So it's scary. So when you put stuff out there yeah. and the one or two times you get shot down, that's when people are probably like, Oh, well, I tried. I promise you, the only way I turned it around was being like, I don't care. This is my life. This is my career. I have to keep bringing it up. And sure enough, she did respond. So do you think that that's a big element of it? Have you had a situation where maybe you had to keep coming to the table?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. One, I love that you did that. And it's such an important thing for people to really take in right there is that you were willing to consistently push that conversation because I've done a lot of research and this isn't necessarily conflict, but it can feel like a difficult conversation that could lead to some sort of conflict. So people avoid it. My last stat on this after 4,000 people took this assessment, it was 30% of people actually could handle difficult conversations well, mm. where the rest of them are just trying to avoid it at all costs. So one, it's kind of reframing that into how do I show up in this conversation differently? How do I make it a priority? And how do I position it so that they don't look at me as another thing to deal with? Mm. Because that's what happens. They have a million fires that they're putting out at all times. You think about this, any person in pretty much any leadership role in an organization is constantly putting out fires. I think that's their entire job. <laughs> it's just There's one fire, it's like, Wow. Totally. And so you're coming in, you're like, I need to feel value. And they're like, eh. Mm-hmm. That's not on fire right now. Mm-hmm. But it is. And so I talk about this, and this is super short, but I think it's super helpful, especially for people who are considering having these conversations. I call it the me, them, we. Me, them, we. So me, how do I show up in this conversation, understanding who I am, what I'm looking for, and in the right mindset? Them, what is their perspective? What is their viewpoint on this? What is the potential landmines that I could run into that could be problematic in terms of getting what I need here? But then it's really the we, because anytime we're having these conversations, we have to focus on... There is a goal of actually maintaining a relationship here, right? There's a goal of not leaving because then I wouldn't be having the conversations. I I just leave. So what is the we? What is the goal of this conversation? What is the intended outcome that I can work towards? And it starts to change the way that we have these conversations instead of just knocking on the door and saying, I need something. I think the approach is so different. So I've been an entrepreneur now for over 12 years. Before that, I was a lawyer, which I loved. And lawyers are typically very capable of having conversations that are (laughs) conflict oriented, which is ironic because I hate conflict. And yeah, I've had some lucky moments in my corporate side of things where I I never had to, but I've been on the other side of it and hearing from so many people and so many teams that just have this over and over again. So I know that I am not the norm here and I'm thankful for that, but um, hopefully can help people on the other side of it because it's not easy. It's
0: not. Yeah, but no, it's interesting (laughs) because when you were talking about this me, them, we concept, which is brilliant, I love a good framework. Whether you're talking about setting boundaries at work or getting clear on what's going to fill up your cup and where you want to go. I mean, this is even with regular relationships, like quiet quitting is something that I have done in a personal relationship for sure. Girlfriends, toxic ex-boyfriends. I mean, how many times we find ourselves just going through the motions because the idea of having that conversation and having to start over and reinvent and fear of their reaction All of that culminates into this like, eh, I'll just sweep it under the rug and phone it in. You know, and and that's where you see like your girlfriends or ourselves get stuck in these ruts where you're just like, where did I go? Like what happened to big, beautiful, vibrant me? Is she even in there? And we've all lost our way in a relationship. So I think it's interesting how your experience with Match and then also your research and your experience as a lawyer all kind of comes together in this beautiful Venn diagram of expertise that I'm so thankful you know, to have you on the show. So here's where I wanna go from here. When we talk about what's wrong, work, in our job, in our personal relationship, it is so easy for us to bitch and moan about all the things that we hate. It's so obvious. What I think is harder for us to figure out is, like you were saying, let's say we diagnose you know, okay, this is a symptom, but now we're at the root of the problem. Okay, great. The hardest part that I see my team now, to your point, I've been an entrepreneur 15 years. So on the other side of the table, I've had over 500 employees in the last 15 years. So now I have a small team. It's just five of us. I had a conversation with a gal on my team and she was expressing her feedback and very easily listing all the things that were not working for her. Having been on the other side of the table, to your point, it's like, I don't have time for this, but it's actually all I have time for right? Because the little fires everywhere equals a bonfire. So I was listening to her. And then I just said very simply, what would better look like? What would fixing this feel like? What exactly do you want besides a raise or money? Like what else? And it was crazy, Rachel, because she stuttered and stumbled. And it was just like anyone in a bad relationship. You're like, I don't know who I want to marry. I just know it's not this guy. You know, and so don't you think that's almost a big piece is like, how can we help our employees or how can employees ask for what they want so that we're not just like bitching and complaining and being cathartic, but that we're strategically moving towards a more optimal situation, figuring out what that is. That's where I think things get a little trickier.
1: Yeah, it's not always easy. And a lot of times I think we ask based on a lack versus based on the fulfillment. And so what I say, and it's very similar, you know, when you're talking about any sort of romantic or friendship relationships, you know, this doesn't work with this person. Well, Tell me about the person that it would work with. Tell me about the ideal situation. Mm. Tell me about when were you fulfilled in the past? When did things feel like they clicked? When did it feel good? And so taking from not the pain points, because the pain points, they light up a lot brighter in our brain. Totally. As opposed to the positive points. And so we can actually start to have those conversations in a more intelligent way when we're actually paying attention to, okay, this is this is what I did in a previous job that just Felt so good. This is how I was given constructive criticism in the past that felt like it was beneficial to me. This is what worked for me in terms of incentive. So, take from the positives that have occurred, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in that present moment, and then start to build on that. At least it starts to build the self awareness, but also understand that human beings are so dynamic. Humans are all over the place. We're always going to be changing. The only constant is change in our personalities, our environments, our drives, our ambitions, all of these things. So know that part of being a leader and part of dealing with the challenges of a team and keeping people engaged and happy is also being in the flow Mm -hmm. because you can't just rubber stamp it along the way and think it's going to work for everyone or for all time. So mm-hmm. don't be afraid to test something out and be like, does this work? And then 30 days later, be like, no, it's kind of like a diet, you know, totally can try to take out carbs and be like, yeah, well, that didn't work mostly because I wouldn't do it. But, you know, the next I month, try carbs. something else. I would be, oh, no. <laughs> that was my takeaway. I go, I
0: miss carbs. No, but I love what you're saying because you're kind of saying like, look, let's authorize ourselves to dynamically decide to change direction frequently because it's not that we're flaky or inconsistent or not strategic it's called changing your mind. And we can authorize ourselves to test and learn and do that. You were talking earlier about the great resignation. And now you said earlier the great regret. And it's interesting because they're doing this boomerang situation now where, oh my gosh, this place is the worst. They get a little bit of a bait and switch with the new opportunity. They get a bump in pay. They have a ping pong table. They can work from home three days a week, whatever. And then they find that actually there are hidden demons and hidden toxicities within the fabric of this organization. Well, now the devil they knew, is better than the devil that they don't. And now they want to circle back around. So how can we become, I guess, less judgy about the fact that we are probably going to change our minds because we're just doing our best to figure it out. But it can be expensive, not only for us emotionally, but also for the organizations with onboarding and offboarding. So
1: what are your thoughts around this? <sighs> it's such an interesting topic. And yeah, it is insanely expensive for everyone involved, uh, emotionally and financially. And the one thing I would say is for anybody in any situation, do not make any decisions while you are stressed out or overly emotional. And those emotions can be highly positive emotions. I was talking to one of my friends the other day, and I was looking to to hire somebody. And I'm one of those people, I almost feel guilty when I don't buy on the spot. Like, I don't want to say yes, but I should because I'm in the emotion of I want to do this, but I don't really want to do it with this person. But I feel like I should say yes. And I I didn't. I was so proud of myself, (laughs) taking my own advice of do not make decisions. So you could be high on the horse of, you know, this feels great. And they're Promising me all these things, but I need to actually go back and and take a minute and take that breather because the more that we can actually look at things from a pragmatic and more logical and even keeled level, probably the less mistakes we'll make. And not necessarily Mm. they're always mistakes. Sometimes they're just decisions that lead us down a different path. So that would be the first step, but that's oftentimes in hindsight. (laughs) You're like, I wish I waited a little bit longer and thought about that more. But then be okay with going back into that flow. And also recognizing this is something for everybody out there that is having that moment of great regret. You might need to eat a little crow if you do wanna go back. And it's kind of a lesson for all of us is don't burn the bridges. That's something my grandmother taught me a long, Mm. long time ago. Do not burn bridges. You never know the cycle of people's work. You don't know the cycle of who you're gonna run into. Be kind to everybody, be respectful, and come from a place of facts versus emotion and Uh -uh. you'll be saved so much. So true.
0: Oh my gosh. One of my best friends, Kim Paradise, always would say, never burn bridges. She just preached that. She was one of the gals I looked up to kind of growing up in, in corporate the first 10 years of my career. And I remember being like, well, you know, if someone's a jerk, they're a jerk. Who cares? And it's like Murphy's Law, to your point. <laughs> the one person that you pissed off ends up being on the board of the thing five years later, or best friends with the neighbor of the sister. It's just always the Kevin Bacon seven degrees of separation that rears its ugly head whenever you operate from this deeply emotional space like you're describing and I love the facts versus feelings exercise. If you're at a crossroads right now and you are listening to this and saying, gosh, Rachel's making a ton of sense. I should really consider this. How much of this is a feeling or a narrative or a crazy story that you're concocting in your mind that actually exists nowhere but within your psyche? I call her my inner Regina George, my inner mean girl. You know, like she's such a bitch and she's so mean. And so is this her just being crazy town mayor or are these facts? Are these credible third party objected truths that we can anchor this decision making process on. I mean, I'll never forget running my agency for the last 10 years. It was year number three and we landed our first huge corporate client. You probably have their credit card in your wallet right now. I'll never forget. It was big, fancy schmancy playing in the big leagues, you know, fancy office up in NorCal. And we were just taking a lot of abuse. It was very much David and Goliath and they were like, you're welcome. We could hire any agency. We chose you. And it wasn't a great situation. So one day an email came through from one of the VPs and I just saw red and i reacted and i wrote this scathing email that 100 i should have slept on and read it in the light of day in the morning with a nice zen cup of coffee instead i pushed the damn button in the worst possible way sent it well we got fired okay from this it happened and it was funny because afterwards good in the moment it felt so good but this is kind of the quiet quitting thing initially i felt really empowered and go me and no one talks down to me like that but in the long run what i had to do to make up the revenue to explain to my team why we had to double down frantically scrambling to make ends meet i mean it was a really hard six months for my 62nd pretty selfish, narcissistic, emotional decision. And then, of course, to your point, five years later, I'm at a convention. I'm the keynote speaker. And guess who's in line at the book signing? The freaking VP from the company. And she was like, I see you've come a long way since we last crossed paths. And I wanted to cross the table and die. So it does happen, (laughs) to your point. And I always think that that every time I just want to fire off, there's something almost for us. When we fire off the email or the message. It's or, right. It's almost like a dear diary. It's this cleansing, but we have to sleep on it because nine times out of ten when I do, Rachel, I look at it the next day and I'm like, okay, okay, that's not gonna see the light of day. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> maybe like
1: we'll that. just delete that word right there. It's yes. superlative necessary. <laughs> totally. We've all done it. So
0: I love that you um are so transparent. You're like, I'm preaching to myself about this. You're like, I'm taking my own advice because we preach it because we want to hear it you know? So tell me about right now you're doing so many interesting things. You have all of your keynotes. Relatable is still crushing it in bookstores. You're still with match.com. What are you excited about in terms of your business? I mean, this podcast is called on your terms. You strike me as someone who very much is living life
1: by design. What are you excited about? What are you creating on your terms right now? growth. Yeah. I actually have a consulting company that I'm working on that's about to come to the light. I'm really excited about that just working with organizations. I'm so passionate about communication amongst teams and engagement. And I just think there is so much potential out there. So, you know, obviously I love the keynotes because you get in there and it's it's fun and exciting and just being able to dive in and do the work afterwards is something that uh, is lighting me up. And, and like you, I know you love creating things. So anytime, that we can kind of like get our hands dirty and create something new. I'm so excited. And I'm not writing another book for, I don't know, a decade. (laughs) that (laughs) was off the table. So I had to do something else.
0: (laughs) I love it. Oh my gosh. Well, congratulations on the new company. It's perfect. Talk about alignment. I mean, you have such a wonderful stage presence. You have so much expertise and people definitely need more of your methods. I love your frameworks. So guys, if you are listening to this, follow Rachel on Instagram. Definitely check her out on LinkedIn as well a lot of great content over there and your new company i can't wait to check it out and learn more congratulations Thanks. and it's just so great to get to see you in sort of in real life not really zoom close enough but i hope live. we get to hang yeah live <laughs> live not on instagram which is an improvement but thank you so much rachel for kind of just sharing all of your energy and your brilliance and i'm hoping i get to see you in real life very soon Well, friends, if you want more of Rachel, you can visit her at racheldialto.com or check her out on Instagram or LinkedIn. She creates these phenomenal short video snippets that are just power packed full of insights, research, and strategies to live your best, most relatable life on your terms.